Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of, guess what? Jonah, (laughs) chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. ask that you would pray with me this morning. Gracious and loving God, we, uh, we come striving to hear your word today. God, we, we hear the story of Jonah and we want to understand. And so God, offer your message for us today. May the words that I speak no longer be my own, but, but your words for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, compass guides, stuff in your bulletin. Just as a, as a reminder, you've got the question.
passages in your bulletin. You've got space that you can take notes. So I encourage you to take notes. Uh, when something speaks to you, and that, by that something I mean when God's Holy Spirit captures your heart and speaks a word directly to you, I encourage you to write that down so that you don't forget it. So we've begun each, uh, each sermon with a recap of the story of Jonah. But I think you got it. I think you got it now. You know how the story goes, what happens to Jonah. And, and while most, well, the most intriguing part of the story will actually be the focus of next week, we need to turn our attention to this co- concept of grace today. I mean, we began this series talking about the times that we, we find ourselves running away from God and running away from the calling that God has on our lives. We heard about how Jonah slipped further and further down away from God as he turned from the job God had called him to perform. Last week, even though the passage was focused on Jonah's prayer, the prayer of repentance to God, we looked at Jonah's view of those around him especially those who were not like him. Now, if you remember, he didn't want to give the message to the people of Nineveh because, because he, he just knew that God would forgive them. That God was a forgiving God. He knew that the people would repent, God would forgive them, and Jonah didn't want anything to do with that. He was trying to put God in a box, and allow only those that he thought were worthy of hearing the saving grace of God actually receive it. Jonah thought that that he should be the one who decided who should be in or out. Sounds pretty egotistical, doesn't it? God is the ultimate judge. And if God wants to apply the merits of what Christ did on the cross to anyone, that's on God. Not us. It's God's choice, not ours. Well, in chapter 3 of Jonah, we find this amazing revelation about the nature of God. I guess we could see this as a connection to chapter 2's prayer of repentance. Because not only does Jonah repent and receive forgiveness, but so do the Ninevites. Both receive God's grace. What is grace? How do we define this this theological term and how does it apply to our lives? So here lies the focus of God's message today. When you hear the word grace, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Grace Kelly? Smooth, flowing movements such as in dance. Grace UMC. A short prayer said right before meals. Maybe something that we give others, possibly in the form of forgiveness. Or maybe this concept of a free, unmerited gift given by our Creator. See, if we look at the definition of grace, all of what I mentioned above would be correct. Some of the definitions that are given are this, simple elegance or refinement of movement, something I don't have, (laughs) courteous goodwill, a period of allowed time for payment of a sum, 
That would be right up your alley, right? (laughs) Sounds like a legal definition. A free, unmerited favor of God. A free, unmerited favor of God. While we can see grace as forgiveness between individuals, especially from many stories that have been told regarding people forgiving those who have done horrific things. But I want to focus on God's grace toward us this morning. If we see grace as an action which God does in our lives, I wonder where we can see God's grace in the well-known story of Jonah. Do you see God's grace in multiple areas of Jonah? Maybe we'll explore just a bit. I can see God's grace in multiple spots of this story. I see God's grace in the fact that the ship that Jonah was in was not allowed to sink in the midst of a huge storm. Both Jonah and those on the ship, the the non-Jews, God kept the boat afloat for both of them. Even if the sailors thought that they would sink as they were throwing things overboard, I see grace in the calming of the sea. After Jonah is thrown overboard, God calmed the seas, even though he didn't have to. The sailors encountered God's grace and were transformed by it. I guess we could call this justifying grace, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But in response to encountering grace, the sailors repented and began worshiping God. There is a strange type of grace found in God providing a big fish. While we might not think of it that way, God providing the fish keeps Jonah from drowning in the raging sea. This grace comes at a time when Jonah wasn't thinking of turning back to God. Actually, it was in the middle of running away from God. Provenient grace is like that. That type of grace that is one that calls us to return to our relationship with God, even if we don't know it. Even more strange would be the the kind of grace found in the vomiting of Jonah up on the beach. You see, like the sailors on the ship, Jonah asks God for forgiveness from his sins, and God forgives in the sign of a big fish vomiting. Jonah, in effect, is being released from a watery prison, set free to proclaim the good news. And then there's the grace shown in the compassion that God had for Nineveh and all of the people there. Grace was not just offered to Jonah I guess who the Israelites would have thought should have been the only recipients. But it was also offered to the sailors and to their enemies, the Ninevites. This showed the world that God's desire for reconciliation was for the entire world, not just a chosen few. And so next week we'll hear about the ending of the story, but there is grace there as well. Grace is found in God providing a plant to give shade to Jonah, a relief 
from the hot sun. And there is also grace found in a little worm. And maybe we'll hear a little bit about that next week. However, if we look at these parts of the story, we might get misguided to think that grace is only an action of God's. You see, we need to acknowledge that it's, that it's not just a gift that we receive, but one that we participate in. Our response is needed. We see this in the response of the sailors, as well as the townspeople of Nineveh, and in Jonah as well. Yes, grace is a gift from God, but it is relational in nature. Think of it this way. When you receive a gift for your birthday, a Christmas, a wedding gift, do you thank the person giving you the gift? When somebody opens a door for you at the store, do you thank them as you walk in? I guess I would, I would hope that we would. When we receive the gift of God's grace, our response to that grace is our thank you to God. Many times the response is a transformation in our life. Maybe we turn from a particular sin or just a life lived without the knowledge of God, but it is the transformation that is our response. Even just accepting the gift can be a response. Acknowledging God as the source of grace is a response. Jonah is given a second chance to obey God's call to preach to the people in Nineveh. The sailors are given grace in acknowledging God as creator and controller of all creation. The Ninevites are given grace in not being destroyed. Notice that God's grace was given to all different kinds of people. There is no limit to how far God's grace can reach. I've said this multiple times. There is no one beyond the reach of God's grace. No one. No one is beyond that reach. Maybe you felt at times that you were beyond the reach of God's grace, but no one is. Where have you received grace this past week? Can you name it? I mean, what, what, what was your response to God's grace this week? Where have you received grace? Maybe from a friend, a family member, or maybe you did receive a little bit of God's grace this past week. What was your response? Before we get to uh, John Wesley's view of God's grace, I want you to understand that grace is a concept rooted in our Trinitarian view of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The foundation is found in the love and mercy of God the Father. It's manifested in the life, death, and resurrection of the Son, Jesus Christ. And grace is experienced through the working of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. All aspects 
of the Trinity. All three parts of the Trinity are involved in and participating. And the beautiful thing is that we get to join in participating with the triune God and the grace that is offered to everyone. So I want to talk briefly about John Wesley's view of God's grace. Partly because we are in a United Methodist Church. <laughs> Always good to bring up John Wesley. And I, but John had this view of grace. Uh, and it's seen in his, his order of salvation. Uh, and so let me kind of talk to you about this. So his grace he talks about is prevenient, justifying, sanctifying, and perfecting grace. There's four different kinds of grace. He actually throws a couple others in there, but, uh, but these are the four main ones that they talk about. And so prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is, I know it's a really strange term, but it's the grace that reaches out before we even know. It's one of the reasons why the United Methodist Church believes in infant baptism. We believe that God's grace is working in that child from the very beginning calling us back into a relationship with God. We hear this actually through many scriptures. We hear this through uh, the beginning of scripture when we go all the way back to Genesis. Genesis 3 verses 8 through 9 says this, during that day's cool evening breeze they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? If you remember, this happens right after they ate the fruit from the tree that they shouldn't have eaten. And they immediately realized that they were naked. And their eyes were open to a number of things. So they knew they had done something wrong and they hid from God. But God goes searching. God searches for us and, and calls us back into this relationship. This is the prevenient grace of God. If we look at, uh, look at uh, Keith's most uh, famous or his, uh, his most like parable, the prodigal son, we, we hear about an older son who didn't do what he should have done. He didn't go out and search for the younger son. Which is why when Jesus is talking about it, he's talking about how it actually turns out that Jesus is the elder son or what the elder son should have done. Gone out and searched for the lost, the broken. Gone out and searched for that one that went missing and not staying with the 99. It's grace reaching out to us, calling us back, provenient grace. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless they are drawn to me by the Father. Drawn, provenient grace, before you even knew who God was. In Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in this, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, before we had a relationship with Jesus Christ, before we even knew who Jesus Christ was, Christ died for us. Prevenient grace. The grace that goes before. Think of it this way. Think of it as a house. 
And as you're at the house, you walk up and there's, there's somebody sitting on the front porch in a nice little rocking chair and they're inviting you to come up and have a, a glass of sweet tea. Just come on up. Sit on the porch and let's talk for a while. The porch is prevenient grace, inviting us back in. The door is justifying grace. After you've had this conversation and you, and you realize where you have been wrong and you want to change, you want to transform life, you want to be in this new life that God offers. And so you make that decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And so when you do that, you make that decision and you become justified. And justified, the easiest way I remember this is by saying, it is justified, never sinned. Justifying grace. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are a new creation when we accept God into our hearts. We receive justifying grace. We enter into the door, and as we step into the house, we step into this thing called sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is a beautiful thing. It is where we spend most of our time. Sanctifying grace, if we, if we look at a couple of scripture passages, we can look at Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. New every morning, which means this is a journey that we are on, this sanctifying grace. It is a time when, when we receive this every day. New mercies each and every day. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And in Hebrews, let us run, the ra- the, uh, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is not a 100-yard dash. This is a marathon. This is something that we continue to run each and every day. And so many times we think of salvation, and, and I'm not sure what your, your impression of salvation is, and, and whether or not it's the once saved, always saved. Or how you think of of this relationship that you have with Christ. But here is where John Wesley views the sanctifying grace that, that I find absolutely beautiful. That we hear that prevenient grace of God. We are convicted and we step through the door as we accept justifying grace and we take this transformed life. And then we spend this time in the house. We spend this time in sanctifying grace, growing and learning all the time. But it's not like a, a normal, like I, I think a business chart where you watch that line and the line just goes. So here's prevenient grace and then we're moving and then here's justifying grace and then here we move and move. It's not a straight line. Because I think you've all experienced, I think all of us have at some point in time, where there's a moment that we kind of fall. It's like we're doing great and then we fall. And then we come back up and we learn a little more and then we fall. It's this, this zigzagging line that we keep moving in the right direction, but it's not just a straight line. There are times when, when we slide away from God, that we walk away, that, that we don't do everything that we are called to do. 
And so sanctifying grace is that beautiful peace that allows us, when we fall, to come back and to hear God's voice calling out to us again and continuing to receive those new mercies each and every every day. Sanctifying grace. Now the last one is this perfecting grace. And so a question, I'm not sure if I had mentioned this before or not, but the question that comes up before all the, uh, the ordained elders and deacons within the United Methodist Church, as we stand up before the bishop and before all of the clergy in the conference, questions are asked of us. And one of those questions is, is do you expect to be perfected in this life? And your answer is, yes, yes, we expect to be perfected in this life. But let me explain what Christian perfection is. Because as I said before, with sanctifying grace, we we keep moving up and down and up and down. Perfecting grace doesn't mean that you hit that point and say, I've reached, I've achieved, I'm done. Perfecting grace can happen at any time. Perfection in Christian love, according to John Wesley, is having nothing but the love of God and the love of neighbor in your hearts. Nothing but the love of God and the love of neighbor. I know that all of us, as we think about this, we go, okay, do I ever have a moment where I have nothing but the love of God and the love of neighbor in my hearts? Or is there always something in the back of my mind that says, no, I just, but I don't like this person? Or this person did something wrong. Or this person just cut me off. And did you see how that car was zigzagging in between cars on Randall Road? I saw that last night, by the way. Nothing but the love of God and the love of neighbor in your hearts. You may reach perfection for five minutes. But you reach perfection. And when you reach it, you want more of it. So you try even harder to get to that point of perfection. Matthew 5, 48 tells us, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We must be. We must strive for Christian perfection. So if anybody says, Do you expect to be perfected in this life? Your answer is, Yes, I do. It may be for a very short time. But yes, we long to be perfected. This is John Wesley's view of God's grace. And we see bits and pieces of that grace, that form of grace in the story of Jonah. Whether it's Jonah, whether it's the sailors, whether it's the Ninevites, whether it's the worm, (laughs) all receive God's grace. All of us here receive God's grace. What is your response to receiving that grace? Because that is how we participate with our triune God. Will you pray with me? God, you have called us. You have called us to participate in this grace. And so God, we we long for response a response to this, this free, unmerited gift that you have given to us. Whether that response is just acknowledging you or listening for your call and participating in that call 
Or maybe it's just transforming our lives. God, whatever that response is, speak it to our hearts so that we know today, this week, this month, where we need to go and what we need to do. But not doing it just because we have to, but God, doing it because we want to. Because we want to participate with you. And God, maybe the biggest thing that we can do right now is just say thank you. Thank you for offering us that grace. Thank you for for saving us. Saving us from all of the, the horrible things that we do. Thank you for giving us new life. And God, all this, we, we ask and we thank you in the name, the name of your most precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I encourage you to, uh, to join me in our closing hymn as we sing about God's amazing grace. Will you stand as you are able? So as we go, knowing that God's grace goes with us everywhere, we know that that we are a redeemed people, that we are a reconciled people, that we have this new life. And it is something that we need to share. You know, we have a place of belonging here at Journey of Hope. We have a place of changing and transforming our lives here at Journey of Hope. And then we have a place outside these walls that we can go and we can share. And so I encourage you to do that, to go and share this grace that God has given you. Tell everybody about it. And so go, knowing that the love of God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit goes with you, and it goes with you always. Amen.